0: So tonight what we're looking at what we're going to deal with is the solution to all of what we've talked about the solution to our problems. We we can all acknowledge that the world is full of problems and that the reason it's full of problems is because we live on a broken planet, a fallen world. Things just don't work right. Everything is damaged. As a result, there's a lot of problems. So what we need to know and what we need to look at is how do we solve the biggest of all problems? What is the answer to everything that goes on in the world? Now, there are different approaches to solving the problems of the world. You, you see them all around you. You hear about them. You hear them on the news. You, they're, they're just all over the place. The problem is is that almost every approach you see is kind of a band-aid approach to the problem it doesn't really solve the problem. It just throws a bandaid on it and thinks that it's good. Doesn't solve the real problem. See, a lot of the problems you see around you aren't solved because the approach that's taken doesn't really fit with the problem. So inside your handout, I've listed some of the popular approaches to dealing with problems in the world. I'm gonna walk through them. As I do, you should be able to identify, oh yeah, I, I heard about that one last week. Oh, yeah, I know they tried that. Because all of these have been tried. The first is the political approach. That is the attempt at solving the world's problems by passing laws. A lot of people believe that God, that government, not God, is the solution to the human condition. You could call this salvation by legislation. The problem is that you can't force anyone to change. It laws cause people to conform that's what they do they conform and the bible talks about how you, you know there's that attempt to conform you on the outside but god wants to transform you on the inside a law never changes a belief a law never changes an attitude a law never changes character there's something that needs to go much deeper than that to create change so the first approach is a political approach second approach is the educational approach. That basically says that all the problems in the world are the result of ignorance. If we just educated people, if we could just educate people with the right doctrine, the right education, then the world would be a better place. Reality check, education is not enough. There are a lot of terrorists a lot of tyrants, a lot of criminals who are highly educated, much smarter than any of us. And that just proves that education is not the answer. It doesn't get to the root of the problem. You could call this one salvation by education. The third is the financial approach. These are people who see everything in terms of economics, as if every problem had an economic solution. In the financial approach, the idea is if we could just help people earn more money or we could just give them more money, we would solve the problems, but it doesn't work. You call this salvation by compensation. The next one is the psychological approach. That is what we need to do is we need to help people change the way they feel about themselves. We need to help people deal with their pasts, deal with their relationships, deal with their self-esteem. And as they do, the world will be a better place. This is salvation by actualization. There's also the sociological approach. That says, let's change all of the structures of society. Because that's where the problem is at. It's in the structures of society. Now you go back to the beginning of the 20th century, and there were enormous amounts of social activists who believed that if you could change the social structures the world would be a better place. Didn't work out. We have, in the 20th century, more people killed, more evils perpetrated on people than any other time that we know of. So we need to realize there's something much deeper than social structures, sociological. This is salvation by association. And then there's the biological approach. We're just going to focus on the human body, and we're going to create the perfect human body. Biotechnology. There it is. The goal of biology is a pill for every problem. It will solve your problems. You've got this problem. We've got a pill for you. Oh, you've got that problem. Yeah, we've got a pill for you. Every problem in this philosophy could be solved by a pill or by a procedure. This is salvation by medication and then there's the technological approach now, you know I like gadgets I like technology technology is cool, but it doesn't really solve problems It's salvation by innovation Now each one of these have a role Each one of these can help but they don't get to the root of the problem They don't solve the problem. They don't deal with the deeper human condition. The bottom line is you have to change the hearts of people to have any long-term change in the world. This gets us to number eight, the biblical approach. God's way is changing hearts. God goes after changing our hearts. This is salvation by transformation transforming you into a new person with new character. God specializes in changing hateful people into kind people, self-centered people into unselfish people. No law will ever teach you how to love people. Only God can do that. There is no law. You have to have salvation by transformation. It starts in the heart. It doesn't start on the surface. doesn't throw a Band-Aid on it. It goes down much deeper than that and gets to the real core, which is the heart. God's approach is to change you from the inside out. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The heart is the root of all of our problems. The reality is we are not going to see the changes that we would love to see until people's hearts are changed. That's where it happens. It starts in the heart. Now because we live in a fallen world, broken planet, human beings have heart diseases because it's a heart problem. Now I'm not talking about physical heart disease. I'm talking about spiritual heart disease. Spiritual heart disease is rampant. It's epidemic. So I'm gonna give you five spiritual heart diseases. First one I wanna mention is guilt. It is impossible to be happy and guilty at the same time. They don't coexist. One bumps out the other. It's just impossible to to have that. The symptom in this heart disease is people feel worthless. When you have guilt flooding down on you or rising up inside of you, you feel a sense of worthlessness because of your guilt. Psalm 40, verse 12, David said, I was swamped by guilt, and I couldn't see my way clear. I had more guilt in my heart than hair on my head. The guilt was so heavy that my heart gave out. Second problem, a second common heart disease is compulsion. There are things in your life that you know are not good for you, but you do them anyway. Every one of us has compulsions, and those compulsions They cause us to act in self-defeating ways. You act in ways that defeat your relationships. You act in ways that defeat your health. You act in ways that defeat your happiness. As a result, you, you might even say, I would like to change, but I can't. See, the bottom line is, we most often know the right thing to do, we just can't always do it. The symptom is that people feel powerless. I'm going to read a passage out of the book of Romans. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, then I act in another. Doing things I absolutely despise. The power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, but nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. He's talking about how we are powerless over our compulsions. Left on our own. Third problem with the heart, alienation. The symptom is I feel disconnected. A lot of people feel disconnected. They feel disconnected from God. They feel disconnected from people. Simple disconnection. As a result of that alienation in the heart, most people don't experience genuine intimacy. It's missing. They don't experience in their life. They feel separated. They feel detached. They feel disconnected. Colossians 121 says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We, in our American culture, we have valued so highly this spirit of independence that we have created the most lonely generation in history. People are lonely. People feel a sense of alienation. That's a heart problem. Say heart disease. Fourth heart disease, confusion. With confusion in the heart, you feel aimless in life. In other words, I don't really know where I came from and I don't really know where I'm going. I'm confused. I, I just don't know. I feel aimless about it. I'm just drifting through life, bouncing off here, bouncing off there in this relationship, out of that relationship, into this relationship. I'm aimless. I'm confused. This is not a new problem. This problem has been with us for centuries. In fact, over 2,000 years ago, the Bible said this When Jesus looked over the crowds, his heart broke for them. They were so confused and aimless, like sheep with no shepherd. They were confused and aimless. People today are confused and aimless. There is a problem of the heart. And no politics, no education, no amount of money, no pill is going to solve that problem. Fifth heart disease, anxiety. The symptom of, of anxiety is you feel stress. Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down. It just weighs you down. It creates a sense of stress. There's this anxiety that is just roaming around inside of you. Now, when you look at these heart diseases and you look at how the world is trying to solve these problems, what you get is not a very pretty picture and not a lot of good solutions because they're just, they don't work. There is good news. As much as this sounds dreadful, because it is, the good news is that Jesus Christ specializes in heart problems. That's his specialty, that's what he focuses on. So a big question is how does Jesus Christ change hearts? How does he replace a heart filled with guilt and compulsion and alienation and confusion and anxiety with a new heart? How does he replace feelings of worthlessness, powerlessness, loneliness, aimlessness and restlessness? How does he do that? And very specifically, What did Jesus do on the cross? And how does that make a difference for us? What Jesus did on the cross is the solution. He solves our problems. Now there are three incredible benefits that that I wanna talk with you about. They're all about what Jesus did on the cross. The first benefit of what Jesus did on the cross is called replacement. Replacement simply means Jesus took my punishment on the cross. Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserved. He, he was my replacement. He was my substitute. Romans 325 says God sent Jesus, God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all of God's anger against us. Jesus said, I'll be the substitute. I'll be the stand in. I'll be the replacement. Now what that means is that the Bible says all of us have sinned. Everyone. Me, you, everyone in history. Everyone has made mistakes. We've all blown it. Now when you go out and you you break a human law, you pay a human penalty. You know, if, if, if while I'm driving home, I go a bit too fast, I get pulled over, I get given a ticket. I now have to pay the penalty for that ticket. You break man's laws, you pay man's penalties. You break God's laws, you pay God's penalties. And God says that the penalty of sin is death. That means I deserve to die for what I did. That means someone has to pay for all of the things I've done wrong. Either I have to pay for it or someone else does. Jesus stood up and says, I'll do it. I'll pay for your sins. I'll pay. See, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things he said was, It is finished. Very clearly, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished, because he wasn't. Three days later, he rose to new life because he was not finished. This, this phrase, it is finished, it, it's, it's the Greek word. It's only one word in Greek. It's To tetelestai. tetelestai means paid in full. That's, that, that's what he said. It is finished. You know, when you paid a bill, they would stamp it with a stamp that said tetelestai. If you had to go to prison... You would go to prison, and when you got out from having paid your penalty, you were given a certificate of payment that was stamped with the word tetelestai. Paid in full. Your debt to society has been paid in full. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was finished. He was saying, I have paid for your sins. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, when you accept what he did on the cross, you're saying, I accept Jesus as my replacement. I deserve that, but he stood in my place. He replaced me for that. Second benefit of Jesus' death on the cross is called redemption. Redemption means Jesus bought my freedom. 1 Timothy 2.6 says, he gave his life to purchase freedom For everyone. The Greek word for redemption actually refers to slaves that were being purchased in a marketplace. In in a spiritual sense, all of us are slaves to sin until Jesus purchases us out and sets us free. He decides to do that. Now you may be thinking, well, okay, but I'm not a slave. So what do I need redemption from? You need freedom from whatever controls you. 1 Peter 2, 19 says, you are a slave to whatever controls you. So the question is, what is it that controls you? What is it? Are you controlled by your past? Are you controlled by a past that you just can't seem to break free from? It just keeps there, it's always right on your heels. Are you controlled by your past? Are you controlled by your habits? Are you controlled by the approval of others? There's always something. So let me give you a picture of what Jesus' death on the cross did to purchase our freedom. But to do this, you got to step into a story with me. You have to imagine a busy marketplace. People all around you. People are roaming around looking at things to buy. Everything that you could imagine is being sold. There's pieces of material. There's vegetables. There's food. Everything. Now, in the center of the marketplace, there's something else that is being sold. In the center of the marketplace, slaves are being sold. People, human beings are being sold. They're being put up on the auction block and they're being auctioned for. Now to really understand what I mean, you have to picture yourself as a slave on the auction block. And you're on this auction block and the auctioneer is auctioning off Slave after slave after slave. One person bids and buys a slave. Another person bids. And now all of a sudden it's you. You're on the auction block. And these different people are bidding on you. And each time there's a bid, you look, the, you look at them and you look in their eyes and you, you, you eye them up and down and you're thinking, is this person going to be kind? Are they going to be mean? But it doesn't actually matter because they are buying you for their purpose. They are buying you to be their slave, to do whatever they want. So the bids are going higher and higher. And then all of a sudden, a stranger steps out of the crowd. And this stranger lays down a bid that is a thousand times higher than any other bid. And you look at that stranger, and you're wondering, why? What is this stranger doing? Nobody could match this bit. So the auctioneer quickly hits the gavel, sold. You look at that person who just bought you, and you realize. You see the love in their eyes, and you realize, he didn't buy me as a slave. He bought me to set me free. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's what we have in him. He paid to set us free. He paid the price to set us free that was so high that I could never pay it back. But he did that freely, willingly. Psalm 49.7 says, we can never redeem ourselves. We cannot pay God the price for our lives because the payment for human life is so great. Jesus took my punishment on the cross, that's called replacement. Jesus bought my freedom on the cross, that's called redemption. There's a third incredible benefit and that third incredible benefit is reconciliation. That means Jesus restored my relationship to God. The reconciliation is a significant word. It means that when you bring two parties together who have been in conflict and you, you, reunite, you reunite them, there can be reconciliation between nations. There can be reconciliation between friends and, and, and family members, between people. Romans 5.10 says, we were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. He made us his friends, not his slaves, not his property. He made us his friends. One of the most amazing things to me, it's an amazing truth in the Bible. It it, it sort of seems unfathomable to me that the God who created everything, the God who is all-powerful, could do anything he wants. He wants me as his friend. He wants me to have a relationship with him where we can walk side by side. He wants to give me the power that I need to do whatever I need to do. And he has it. It's just, it's just amazing to me. He doesn't want us as a servant or as a slave. He wants us as a friend. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. God says, I want you to know me. And I want you to love me. That's what God says to each and every one of us. God wants to know you. God wants to love you. God wants you to know how he knows you and how he loves you. He knows everything there is to know about you, and he still loves you. That's extreme love. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, one of the things he did was to take your place. Another thing that he did was to buy your freedom. Another thing that he did was to restore the relationship to God. He became the bridge builder between you and God. 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God is making all human beings his friends through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins And he has given us the message which tells us how to make them his friends. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I could be reconciled to God. I can have a relationship with God. Ongoing relationship, moment by moment, day after day. I could could have a friendship with God. This, to me, is the greatest news in all of the world and this is the solution to every problem in the world, that Jesus took my punishment, replacement. Jesus bought my freedom, redemption. Jesus restores my relationship to God, reconciliation. What I'm talking about is my heart and it's your heart. And we all have some type of spiritual heart disease. The solution, the antidote is Jesus Christ entering into your heart and giving you a new heart, restoring your relationship to God. Replacement, redemption, and reconciliation, those are the gifts that Jesus Christ gives us as he died on the cross. And we should be willing to embrace that truth and that reality because it was free to us, but it was a price that we could never pay. So let's pray. Father, again, I just thank you because you are the God of the heavens, the God of the earth. You are our God. And I pray that we could all say, God, I love you. I am so grateful that you brought us to this place I'm so grateful that we have spent uh, these hours and hours together, connecting with you, connecting with each other, hearing your truth. And I pray that we would take action on your truth. I pray that we would embrace what your son Jesus did for us on the cross and that we would not let go of that embrace. I pray that we would walk with Jesus day after day, moment after moment, and that we would live in your presence. I pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.